It's Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. Items in the news that you might have missed. Europe Calling. So, very good day. Welcome, everybody. Vincent Terry on the 20th of July, 2023. We'll be looking at uh, what's happening in the world according to the newspapers that we see here in Spain and online, obviously, for the UK. And um, let's tell you that the weather today has been very, very muggy. The sky at the moment is grey, ominous. The mountain, well, the definition's okay, but it certainly looks as if uh, something could be on the horizon, including possibly a bit of thunder and uh, rain. Anyway, let's go due west around about 50 minutes, and hopefully Terry will tell me that he's um, having a good day. So, Terry, what's your weather like? Wonderful, Vince. It's actually, it's been pouring down for about half an hour. It's just backing off a bit now, but uh, big uh, tropical thunderstorm. Absolutely wonderful because the humidity has been horrendous these last few days and uh, temperatures 42 degrees around that way. And uh, this hopefully will give us a really nice beautiful night's sleep tonight. should take the humidity away. Mm. Okay, well, let's hope so. And uh, let's see what I've got for you for this particular week. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with this story. Okay, so we're getting ready for the elections here in uh, Spain and the right wing in power under the former Premier uh, Mariano Rajoy uh, during Catalonia's failed 2017 independence bid is trying to regain ground in the vote-rich region ahead of the early general election with a more conciliatory tone. But a return to power for the right-wing PP, the People's Party, Parti de Popular, uh, which is basically the Conservatives, uh, leading in the polls, but they risk reigniting separatist tensions, especially if the party needs the support of the far-right Vox to govern. Current PP leader Alberto Núñez Feijú has uh, visited Catalonia multiple times before the 23rd of July vote and has vowed to be the head of government of all Catalans. I mean, this is something that uh, obviously we hear time and time again. Uh, So let's go straight to Terry's thoughts on this one, because it is a region that you can't ignore. Uh, It's not a region, really. It's an independent, autonomous community like uh, the other 16 uh, of these same autonomous regions or um, communities, whichever way you want to call them. So... Terry, can we get anything from an article like this that we don't know already, do you think? I doubt it. Um, Catalonia has always, always been um, the catalyst for, for, for all governments in as much that most, if there's ever a, 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 a tight vote, and which invariably has been for many years now, the the... the the only way to govern is to uh, climb into bed with another party. And uh, the last government did, it climbed into bed with the extreme left-wing party, and then we've had absolute disaster economically uh, from that loss, um, who will be out, that's for sure, I think, after Sunday's elections. But uh, as you said, the, the PP, question is, can the PP, the Partido Popular, which is a conservative party, Gain a majority of votes. Uh, generally speaking, it's it's doubtful because there's such a large number of smaller parties now, and Catalonia is is holds old enough sway to possibly um, call the, the the balance of power, shall we say? They're always going to be needed. That's why Feijóo is obviously playing up to them, uh, in as much that he's thinking if he can do a deal with Catalonia rather than Vox. Uh, that'll be the, 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 the better for him and, and a handful of other small parties to get a majority. That's assuming they don't get a, an out-and-out majority, which is predicted is going to be difficult. But uh, 
Um, it keeps them on the toes. In, 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 in times like this, really, and same as in the UK, we should have a government of national unity where the, the two parties just, just hold government together because that's the only way you're going to get things done when, when, when big decisions have to be made and they have to be made throughout the world. Then uh, governments of national, uh, uh, the, the, where, where they get, get together and, and, and agree to run together, which is difficult, but it can happen, is by far the best way of getting things moved. Otherwise, parliaments just get snagged up, held up, different parties blocking this and that move, and we're just pig in the middle, left to suffer. So um, hopefully they get a, uh, um, a majority, if not a government of national unity, would be my best bet. Well, I don't think that will happen. They'll, they'll probably, like you say, go into bed with Vox, which is the far-right party, which isn't clever. But having said that, the whole of Europe's moving to the right, all of it. It is, isn't all it? Europe's moving away from socialist parties to, to the right-wing parties. Well, funny enough, uh, goes on a little bit later in the article uh, where they were talking about re-establishing the crime of sedition, uh, mm. which was used to sentence the Catalan leaders. Um, I think it was Arthur Mass was one of the guys that had to go across the border, didn't he, and uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, but, I mean, realistically, um, I don't think it would be uh, over the top to say that uh, the um, PSOE or the Labour Party has been dragged more across to the communist uh, point of view for virtually yeah. everything. And, mm. you know, if they see what's been happening in the UK, and incidentally, I was very interested to look at some figures yesterday. I, did, I thought I'll try one of these uh, chatbots and just ask it a few questions to see what it comes up with. And from the 2021 census, they were saying that it was um, 0.3 uh, sorry, 0.3 of a percent that was LGBTQ um, population in the UK. Uh, so that's 0.3 of 1%. And they were only giving 1.5 to the gay community, which, you know, uh, did surprise me. They looked at um, very low figures for the um, the black community. I think that was only about 4%. And I looked at, uh, I asked the chatbot to tell me what the white um, percentage would be in the UK. And two figures came out, 86 point something and 89%. But if you went to what you see on the TV and you listen to the, the news bulletins, I mean, you'd get a totally different idea of what's going on. So uh, what about this coming across to Spain? Because that is the danger, isn't it? Because these things tend to migrate USA to UK and then UK across to Spain. So what do you think about that? Well, there's never been a, um, um, a, a, a cultural colour problem, shall we say, in Spain. It, it's, it's tended to rear its ugly head a little bit occasionally in, in, in recent times. But I've never found the Spanish to be racist whatsoever. Um, but regarding, well, I said last week, with, with, with immigrants arriving here by the thousand into Spain, because obviously it's quite a short stretch from Morocco to uh, to the coast of Spain near Gibraltar. Um, they come from Algeria. They land on the beaches of, of, of where we are in Albia and Altea. Um They obviously come in a bigger boat and then pile into smaller boats and then come ashore. Um, but they don't stop. They are generally given a small amount of money and they are they are encouraged to leave. And off they go northward, going to, I don't know which country they actually head towards, but they go northward, head into a, another country, which invariably ends up, they, they end up in Calais, which is obviously a war-torn area. Um, shocking things going on there mm. that have caused refugees to, to, to flee in terror uh, across the water to the UK. Um, but it's, it, yeah, it's never been a problem in Spain. I don't think it will be. I really don't think it will be. I hope you're right, Terry, because quite honestly, um, what you see in the UK is nonsensical if you go by those 2021 um, statistics that I was reading from last yeah, night. Yeah, I, I would disagree with them because I think that the white population is a hell of a lot less. A hell of a lot less. Um, but I'll be lucky, I think you'd be lucky if it was 60%. 
Well, I did ask um, the question white, and this was what was claimed, um, you know, yeah. on the uh, the census to to be of white. Um, you know, not, not that I wanted it to be necessarily a, a racial type question. I just wanted to know whether or not there was no, any no, truth no. with well, the statistics. There was, there was a guy in the House of Lords, uh, I can't his name, but it wasn't that long ago, who stood up uh, and read out similar statistics, but he he processed it forward, I think, 40 years. And in 40 years' time, he, he said the statistics are that the white population of Britain will be less than 40%. Um, so it's, it's a diminishing... Well, logically, if, 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 if black or coloured, whatever... <laughs> anybody non-white, God knows what word you're supposed to use now. I'm going to be black and coloured. Uh, population have more children uh, than the white families who have the, the, you know, the 1.2, whatever it's supposed to be. Uh, children. I was supposed to have 2.1, aren't they? Mm. But generally speaking, most families seem to have one child now. So it, it doesn't, you don't need to be a, a Einstein to work out that if you only have one child, when you both die, your family's halved. Yeah. You've only got one child to replace it. Um, you need, you need 2.2, is it, or something to, uh, to ensure that your family is replaced when you, when you die. So if you're only having one child, and many families are doing that way because they just can't afford it, then it's, it's very logical that um, the white population is certainly is diminishing. It's not happening here in Spain. It is happening here in Spain. Many years ago, um, wow, I wonder who was that under? Um, one, of the, one of the Conservative Prime Ministers, they had to legalise the entrance of Moroccans coming from, over from Morocco for seasonal farm work, which they've always done illegally. Yeah, they they made it easy for them to make it legal, to get them paying social security, and to get them to populate that area of Spain. Why? Because at that point the Spanish birth rate had dropped to one per family. I mean the Spanish birth rate had traditionally been quite high, but the the modern Spanish birth rate in families are having one child. Uh, I think it's reversed since then, as I remember. But um, it, 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 it's, it's, you don't have to conquer a country, do you, Vince? You only have to have patience. Yeah. If you can get enough of your people in there by hook or by crook, you don't need to have to go over in, in, armed, in armed ships or anything. You just have to get on there, start breeding, and within 40 or 50 years, you've got your country. Well, we, we, were, we were making similar sort of um, noises and, and conversation levels about the Muslim population so i mean i didn't look at that particular statistic um but maybe that's well, logically yeah well logically the same asian asian families tend to be more numerous all families tend to be more numerous except the white mm -hmm. the indigenous white family families yeah so us aboriginals <laughs> which we are if we're if we're the original white people of uh, of, of britain we're, we're the aboriginals um so we, we, it, appears, it appears we're a diminishing race. Well, another 40 years, and I don't think you and I will be making a podcast about it. So <laughs> I don't think so. Mate. I'll give you move, more food for thought. Let me, let me see. I've got, okay. This is an interesting one coming next. Okay, so this is about a United Nations panel, and it's warned that brain chip technology being pioneered by Elon Musk um, could be abused for neurosurveillance violating mental privacy, or even to implement forms of forced re-education threatening human rights worldwide. The UN Agency for Science and Culture, UNESCO, uh, said neurotechnology like Musk's Neuralink, uh, if left unregulated, will lead to new possibilities of monitoring and manipulating the human mind through neuroimaging and personality altering technology. UNESCO is now strategizing on a wild, worldwide ethical framework to protect humanity from the potential abuses of the technology, which they fear will be accelerated by advances in AI. 
neurotechnology like the Neuralink uh, implants will connect the brain to computing power via thread-like electrodes sewn into certain areas of the brain. Neuralink's electrodes will communicate with the chip to read signals produced by a special cells in the brain called neurons, which transmit messages to other cells in the body, like our muscles and nerves. Uh, because neuron signals become directly translated into motor controls, then Neuralink could allow humans to uh, control external uh, technologies such as computers or smartphones or lost bodily functions or muscle movements with their mind. It's like replacing a piece of the skull with a smartwatch. This is according to what Musk is alleged to have said. Those uh, communication pathways, as the UNESCO panel warned, cut both ways. This May, scientists at the University of Texas at Austin revealed they were able to train AI to effectively read people's minds, converting brain data from test subjects taken via functional magnetic resonance imaging into written words. UNESCO economist uh, Maria Grazia Squicciarini, who specialises in artificial intelligence issues, noted that the capacity for machine learning algorithms to rapidly pull patterns out of complex data, like the brain scans, will will accelerate brain chips access to the human mind. It's like putting neurotech on steroids, so she said. Uh, so it's a big conference that this has been uh, spoken about. And, um, you know, there's things are happening that you and I probably would be absolutely gobsmacked if we see them or when we see them. Uh, but... Um, it goes on to say this spectacular development of neurotechnology as well as new biotechnologies, nanotechnologies and ICTS, I'm not too sure what that one means, makes machines more and more humanoid and people are becoming more connected to machines and AI. So they've weighed numerous dystopian scenarios seemingly out of science fiction last week in their effort to get ahead of rapidly advancing threats to human neurorights, which have yet to even be codified under the international law. It's necessary to anticipate the effects of implementing neurotechnology, according to the UN panel. There is a direct connection between freedom of thought, the rule of law and democracy now when i read some of this stuff i can see it's already happening to a degree and some of it makes a bit of sense i mean if you've got somebody that's um got something like i don't know muscular muscular dystrophy or something like that that can have the quality of life improved i don't really have a problem with that but some of this other stuff is quite um quite alarming terry what do you think I agree. It's alarming. But, um, yeah, there uh, have been fantastic advances in the medical world where people who couldn't walk at all uh, can now walk assisted by, by these these uh, patches that they have just, just linked to the side of the brain. That they, they can will boost the signal. So if, if your brain sends a signal to for your leg to move, then you, you that's what's called walking. But if the path of that signal, i.e. your spine, is severed, then, then there's no link anymore. But they can make that link physically by, by with with a patch to the brain and, and a physical link to the to the to the limb that you wish to move and you can make it move and therefore you can walk again. Therefore you can move your arms again. So the the it the, it's unlimited really what can be done using this technology. Um, it is frightening what possibly could be done with this technology. And for that reason, you know, various people, and it's only been in recent months really, have highlighted the fact that AI could be dangerous. In fact, people who've been at the very heart of, of implement or, or, or inventing, shall we say, and the invention of AI and developing it have pulled away, have resigned from the... Uh, from the combines that they're, they're working in to, to, to say that it's it, it's too dangerous. in the All information in the wrong hands is too dangerous. But having said that, up in uh, Halifax, they used to smash uh, all the, the machines, like, you know, for 
the weaving machines. Aye. So, you know, and, and, and there is a certain amount, we're all really sort of tall puddle martyrs in some respects. It's a, there is a certain amount of rejection and fear. Uh, I mean, when the first train came out, they, they said everyone would die. If, it, if a train went over 30 miles an hour, all those on board would die. That was the belief. So maybe we're at that stage at the minute. But having said that, cars are killing people every day, so maybe they should have done something about it back in the 100-odd years ago. But it, it's, it's again, um, in the wrong hands. This is, this is the danger, and this is, I have to respect the people who, who know about AI, who have developed AI, that have pulled away from it and have said that there is a danger. I respect them for that. And I think government should take notice of that somehow. The word control, which is completely against the whole idea of AI, the word control has got to be implemented. To, I don't uh, think I don't so think it can be used for good purposes, not bad. Terry, I don't think you can possibly control it because basically, well, you can't. by definition, you can't. <laughs> no. no, I mean, if you've got some sort of mad scientist who's got this idea that if we take a brain and then put the AI into it and then, you know, use a bit of this neurotechnology, etc. Uh, they can get a body going again or via uh, uh, using the brain of somebody that's deceased. I mean, you know, that's the first thing that I could see. Well, Frankenstein coming to life, isn't it? It is. It's very, very so, dangerous. And I think um, realistically, you know, uh, when they talk, uh, a couple of weeks ago in the, an article, I think we discussed it, about, you know, the end of humanity. I think certainly we have the end of the freedoms that you and I were able to enjoy up till maybe the start of the pandemic. Maybe that's about the place I would look at it. Um, yeah. Because it seems to have all gone pretty haywire since then, doesn't it? It has. Uh, the pandemic, so we all tend to forget the pandemic now. It's just proof that you, you, your memory is very selective, you know, unless you lost a loved one in, 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 in what must have been horrific circumstances at the time where you couldn't even go and visit your loved one or even go to the bloody funeral. Um, then, then for most of us, which thankfully is me, it's just something that happened, you know, and to see somebody in a mask now is quite unusual again. Um, so your brain is very selective and, and it likes to memorise stuff that it wants to hang on to. It doesn't want to memorise stuff that it doesn't want to hang on to um so yeah living living um it, it's got to be we, we've we've got to be very careful on a worldwide level literally that the, the there are some awful powerful people in this world which have quite quickly in, in recent years become to realize that there are too too much power in too few hands Massive amounts of power. I mean, Bill Gates was the first guy, but he seems to be quite reasonable with his power, shall we say. But other people coming along after him, uh, it's dangerous. And that power is really, really dangerous. And, that, and that's got to stop. That's got to be diluted back down again. Because that that's what I'm afraid of more than anything else at the moment. It's too much power in too few hands. Well, I mean, they're talking about these um, flying cars, which I've seen a couple of the prototypes, which are already uh, able to get off the ground and take a trip up in mm. the air. Uh, you only need to add in that and a bit of this other stuff. And um, I think we better move on, because otherwise we'd be too, af <laughs> too afraid to go to the next one. OK, uh, so here we go with this one. Okay, so now and again we talk about the uh, Spanish disgraced former King Juan Carlos um, and he's now asking a court in London, uh, this happened on Tuesday, to throw out a claim for damages of over £126 uh, million. This is from his former lover, the Danish-German businesswoman Karina Zuzane Wittenskein, uh, who's a 59-year-old, also known as Karina Larsen, lives in England. And um, he abdicated, of course, 2014. He is now 85. Um, she wants damages for personal injury. She alleges that he caused her great mental pain by spying on her and harassing her. So um, he is still married to Sophia. 
uh, and uh, was in an intimate romantic relationship with the divorcee from 2004 to 2009, showered her with gifts according to previous court submissions. Adam Walansky, the lawyer for the former monarch, told the High Court in London that this lady wanted damages in excess of 126 million. He said uh, Juan Carlos emphatically denies ever having harassed the claimant and that the case had no realistic prospect of success as the evidence simply does not disclose a viable case. Um, now, when you see this going on, um, you know, and when you see that Filippi uh, Sixth, uh, when you saw him enjoying the tennis of young Alcarath at Wimbledon, um, the two seem worlds apart in the way they have their paradigm of um, how to enjoy life. So how do you think this one is going to uh, pan out? I don't know. He, he won't win. He, he, listen, there's no fool like an old fool, is there? Uh, and he's a silly old fool in his late 70s that obviously decided he was going to fall in love or got hooked, more than likely to get hooked by this this woman. She's not daft, is she? Uh, and, and ended up piling money into her, giving her loads of money, because he can. Of course he can give her money, he's the king. In the words of Mel Brooks in the film The History of the World, in the phrase is, it's good to be the king. And you are completely right. And how often do we see this in the in the, the seats of power? Like now you've got Putin, etc. He's king by any, any other name in, in Russia. Uh, the power corrupts, an absolute power corrupts absolutely. Always does, and probably always will. Felipe VI is, is appearing to lead a, lead a good life and appears to be so far untainted by his father's history. How his father's still married to Sophia, I don't know, but maybe the money and the status has got a little bit to do with that. Um, but, I mean, what an idiot. Well, I mean, he is. I mean, I've said this, we had this chat before about him. He did such wonderful things when uh, when Franco died and, and saved and created the democracy, really, Yeah. that we now live in in Spain. He did do, he did do really well. But all people have their good days and bad days, you know, and uh, he took a turn for the worse and decided that I'm going to enjoy my power and uh, I'll do what I want to do. I won't be kingly. I'll just be a powerful person and do what I want because I'll get away with and do whatever I want because that's what's happened in Spain all these years. People have been able to get away with everything and still do to a certain extent. Uh, and it is absolutely wrong. And I'm hoping the, the, our new King Felipe will perhaps help turn the tide of that and bring a little bit of or remove some of the corruption that's, that's rife throughout Spain. Um, but um, with his case against his former lover, I don't think he's got a cat and else chance. Okay. I think she's a damn, damn sight more intelligent than he is. He's still thinking, I'm a king, and you're, and you're just a woman. I'm afraid that don't cut anything, pal. Okay. Okay, here's the next one. For those that know the music, uh, you will realise that I was being a little bit sarcastic there. As we go to uh, Japan next, uh, funnily enough, and a spate of dolphin attacks off Suishihama Beach in the town of Mihama, Fukui Prefecture, on Sunday left at least four beachgoers injured. A man in his 60s had his ribs broken as he was rammed by the mammal, while another man in his 40s sustained bites on his arm. The aggressive animals continued to go after swimmers and at least two more were injured in vicious attacks later in the day. Footage shows the sea emptied of people as dolphins lurk near the shoreline with dozens watching in terror from the safety of the beach. Fukui has recorded a total of six dolphin attacks so far this year, according to local police. Now, um, okay, this one was in our paper, so I thought, yeah, okay, let's see what Terry thinks about this, because um, this is where they do dolphin culls, don't they, in parts of Japan? Well, they eat, the, <laughs> they eat dolphins. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, great, the dolphins are fighting back. The poor buggers are, are, are living their life in the sea. Living, uh, living in family groups, being very intelligent, um, doing all sorts of wonderful things like eating jellyfish and God knows where else, um, and hurting nobody. And yet the, the Japanese people think that the meat is wonderful and should be eaten. And so I don't blame them. 
So hopefully these intelligent mammals are realising that around that part of the world, the humans aren't that friendly. So they're doing something about it. Sounds a bit futuristic, but I like to think that's exactly what's going on. Well, uh, you know, you see so much intelligence with the dolphin. Um, you, know, you, you hear all sorts of tales that they've come to help people in distress, especially when maybe it's needed even to fend off a shark or something, you know. And uh, they mm. are they are an animal, which I must admit, I, I do love to see the dolphins. Um, so have you seen anything around your uh, neck of the woods, anything that... Yeah. Uh, Nope. I don't think I've ever seen a dolphin around this end of the woods. Mm. They're going to be out there, that's for sure. Uh, they'll be out there, but uh, they've got any brains in there. They won't go into the excrement-loaded waters that, that surround civilization. They're better off if they know where, where to go out to, out to sea where the fish are, and we'll have some of that and we'll have a little play. Why would you want, why would you want to go to an excrement-loaded area well, full of chemicals and plastics and God knows what else? I can remember uh, the year was 2000 when we were coming over here. And I remember the last day that we were in Cornwall, there was a pod of dolphins just playing with the surfers. They were coming in, jumping across the surfers. It was just a joy to behold. Mm. And then we'd been here, I think, probably three months and I have a friend that uh, lives up in Cala de Finistrat and up high. So we were looking out over um, the uh, Benidorm area. And mm. uh, I said, Mary, do you ever get dolphins here? And she said, I don't think so. I said, I've never seen anything. I said, well, look behind that boat there. And there were two or three dolphins jumping in the air behind a boat going in, you know, oh, right. with the fish. So, um, yeah, thought that was an interesting one to just have a, a quick talk oh, about. Got beyond a... Uh, a fishing boat or a, a no, just, boat? No, just behind one of the fish. You know, the, the way the fishing boats go in to um, take the catch well, in. Well, they do, yeah, because a lot of the boats will start gutting and throwing fish out on the way in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you'll always see a cloud of seagulls following behind the boats, and so it's a free meal for the for the dolphins, God bless them. Yeah, I thought it was, um, it was so funny because the only thing I've seen since I've been up this end is uh, I think it was a porpoise. So, you know, I've talked to other people. They've told me that there are whales about. I've never seen them up here. Um, mm. and, and there will be dolphins. But I look forward... The Great forward... White certainly looks in the Mediterranean. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Great uh, White Shark. I'll be keeping clear of that one. Um, yes. All right, Terry. Well, let's go to our next story then. Uh, we'll go to... Yeah, here we go. Okay, so we have um, the story which we saw during the week of Britain clinching a huge Brexit breakthrough uh, with the signing of a historic treaty to join a £12 trillion international trade bloc. The business secretary, Kemi Badenoch, said it placed us at the top of the table of the Indo-Pacific group and hailed the step as the clearest demonstration yet of our newfound freedom outside the EU. The deal will open major new markets for the UK goods, from cars and textiles to whiskey, cheese, beef and lamb, and could mean lower prices for everything from coffee and kiwi fruit to clothing and electronics. And unlike the EU, there is no requirement to surrender British sovereignty or be governed by judges sitting in a foreign land. Economists have described membership of the 11-country bloc as a massive global event right I thought when I read that that does sound like pretty good news I don't know whether or not you see it that way oh definitely yeah it's been on the cards for a while it was an easy one to sign up so that one's got signed up I mean everyone was thinking when the day Brexit happens everyone's queuing up at Britain's doors to sign trade deals not not, the, not true at all all trade deals uh, work, work two ways so as much as you want to sell your products, they want to sell theirs into the UK. So there's obviously a lot of uh, agreements we made, especially with an area so, so big as the, the Trans-Pacific uh, Pact. But it is an uh, extremely important market, a very important market, and will open, open doorways into further markets. I don't think you can underestimate how big this deal is. In, in reality, it, it, it's going to bring in something like 0.3% of extra uh, um, uh, economy into the UK. Not a lot. 
But at the moment, anything is a, is a lot, anything positive. But I believe the doorways, it will open quite quickly after that. Now this one, they've nailed this one on. I think you'll find there'll be a lot of other uh, deals, um, certainly right around the Asia, Asia belt, that'll, yeah. be, that'll be signed up and uh, that will, will be very beneficial for the UK. Don't forget, the UK's just snatched that, uh, the uh, building of the, um, the, the battery plant. The European battery plant, which was a god given to, to it was just somewhere around Valencia, they're going to whack it. Sagunt, <coughs> Sagunt, wasn't it? It was going to go. <laughs> Sagunt, yeah. Mm. Sagunt, they were going to build it. It was, it was given, as far as I was concerned. And all of a sudden, that's been snatched out of the jaws of Spain and given to the UK. It'll be built down in Somerset. That is a massive, a massive pointer to, to the fact that Brexit does work. Um, so. Uh, a lot to be read into that, a hell of a lot to be read into that. And the future looks good. I was listening to various economists talking about this particular deal uh, for the uh, the battery uh, factories, yeah. and they were saying that the, the one on its own isn't going to be enough because of the other European no. countries that are working, and that Britain had spent a lot of money to get that deal. So realistically, uh, they, they didn't really come out as being that enamoured with the deal as it was, but to go back to that original uh, signed-up treaty, um, Britain still gives money, doesn't it, to China and India, and I find that absolutely s- s- astonishing in some ways. Um, do you do you have well, any background well, what, on that? What I can't get my head around is how we're pumping millions of pounds of aid into India when they've just sent off a rocket to land on the moon. Now, what's that cost? Exactly. I can't square that. I really can't. I know, I know, and I, because I've always said, whenever we give aid to a country, there's another side to it. We will get something back. We'll get access to markets or this, that, and the other. We don't give aid, really, unless there's a commercial value on the end of it. So India being such a massive, enormous, and expanding market, and fast-growing uh, uh, economically and uh, uh, intellectually, that uh, to get into India by any means at all means by basically dropping your pants and sending millions over there in, in the form of aid, whilst they fire off a multi-billion-dollar project to land, land a rocket on the moon. Uh, it is a bit hypocritical, to say the least, but hey-ho, that's how politics works. Well, I also seem to remember that uh, India was cozying up to China. Uh, mm. They looked as if they were politically getting a bit closer, even though they've still got skirmishes on their common borders. They do, and of course, Pakistan being the, really the cushion between India and China in many respects. So India, Pakistan... And China, there's always a conflict there. So you can understand that India would rather uh, keep friends with China, being as they're very, they're, you know, they're on, as you say, the point there, they're very close to the border of India. So uh, you, you don't want to fall out with your neighbour. You try not to, especially when the, the markets are huge as well. Two huge markets um, moving at different rates under different economies, under different forms of politics. So I'd be interested to see who, who progresses further. Yeah. Okay, here's the next one. Uh, we'll go to this. Okay, strange enough, I was talking to the son of an ex-manager of Coldplay this week, which was an interesting conversation, but that's the music. This is a an article about... Uh, British holidaymakers being warned against overlooking a small detail on the passport. Uh, the article went on in our Spanish papers to tell us that uh, so doing could jeopardise their travels. It's essential that Britons check the expiration date on the passports before travelling, as a lot of countries will only grant visitors entry if there's a certain amount of time, sometimes as long as six months, left on the passport. 
the post office, which of course is coming from the British side, tell us many people pack their bags for a holiday or business trip with just a casual glance at the passport expiration date. But if it's due to expire, you may be refused entry. Not only that, but the passport office notes that when travelling to the EU, a 10-year British passport is only valid for entry for exactly 10 years after the date of issue, regardless of the date of expiry. Money expert Martin Lewis previously touched on the subject on his show. This is the Martin Lewis Money Show, saying you need to check if you're going away. Do you have six months or more left at the time you go away? And will the passport be under 10 years old when you travel? Now, I um, then read further on, count your bank uh, blank pages. So I thought, yeah, let's have a look at this one. It uh, was that if your passport is filling up with stamps and there's hardly any space left, you need to renew it, even if you've got several years left on it. This is because some countries can be fussy about passports with pages filled. Uh, For instance, Italy and South Africa require at least two full blank pages. Um, Didn't know that one. Uh, So... Were you aware of these sorts of things, Terry? Oh, yeah, that's why they, you, you, when you order your passport, you can order a super big one. There's a reason for that, because there's a hell of a lot more pages in it. So if you're a person that travels a lot, I, you know, a guy that works for a company that goes all over the world, or you've got that much money you can afford to have holidays everywhere, then you need the bigger passport with more pages on it. And... Um, you're, yeah, it's as simple as that. And, yeah, and the, yeah, it's quite true about the expiry date. Is 10 years after the date it was issued. Yeah, I got caught up with this one because there was an advert uh, running on the radio for quite a while encouraging everybody to, to do this and to look at their passport. And the fact that they can renew your passport is six months before it runs out. And that six months will be added onto your passport. Absolute lies. I did exactly that and ended up with... <laughs> I lost six months, didn't I? I got my 10-year passport. But I'd surrendered my other passport, still had six months on it. So, well, at my age, who cares? But, I mean, it, I, lost, I lost six months. I was a bit miffed, to say the least. But having said that, if when they say that you've only got 10 years from the date it's issued, then you don't get the six months, do you? It's no, you're not going to give me 10 years and six months. They're only going to give me 10 years. So they should never have said that. They should never have advertised that, the fact that you could renew your passport and get the, the, the added time. You know, in other words, renew it early. The idea of the, ad- the advert was to get people to renew their passports early to stop the, the seasonal brush where people obviously realise they're going older and, God, they better renew my passport. Yeah. So everyone tends to renew their passports approaching springtime and don't renew their passports approaching autumn time. Mm. And don't bother looking at them. OK, uh, so we'll play the jingle and move forward. It's Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. Items in the news that you might have missed. Europe Calling. Okay, we're looking at unemployment next, and the the article I'm reading has always been an issue in Spain, uh, with numbers being the highest in the Eurozone. And though more people are working in the country than ever before, unemployment rates are still five points above the historical minimum. The impact of this hits hard, especially for the country's youths, uh, should be youth, shouldn't it, surely? But uh, because of a 16.9 percentage point unemployment rate among young people. Just repeat that number, but 16.9, that is bad. Youth unemployment in Spain is now higher than in uh, other Eurozone countries when only 16 years ago, Spain occupied ninth place. The high rate of youth unemployment indicates serious issues with the labour market that are still far from resolution. Even though the National Institute for the Statistics record lower levels of unemployment benefits claims than ever from people under 25, the decline is a reflection of young people being less interested in signing up for unemployment benefits in Spain. A family is still an important primary support network 
and many unemployed young people rely on family to support them rather than unemployment benefits. Does that article reflect the reality for you um, and things that you've been involved with? I'm surprised that the figures are as low as you said, because unemployment amongst the uh, under 25s was something like 50% not so long ago. Certainly, I remember it being uh, in recent times 25%. So to say it's 16.9% or something, that's it's hurtling down, hurtling. I mean, to actually admit that the, the, the vast percentage of your your youth aren't in employment is ridiculous. Um, but having said that, how many times have I got to say the Spanish government has always perpetually hammered small businesses. Uh, regarding the cost of employment, i.e., in a nutshell, wherever I pay wages to uh, salary to a worker, I will be paying another 55% on top of that in, in, in extra payments to the government, etc. 55%. So if, you, if you've got somebody on, on, you know, on, on, on 30,000 a year, you're going to be paying in excess of 45,000 out for that worker, and you've got to claw that money back. To, to make a profit on the worker. So you, you're in no great rush to increase the size of your, your workforce unless you've got a cast-iron business where, you know, I've just got the HS2 contracts and I can build a load of railways and then the government's going to pay me. Then, yeah, I'll be hiring people like there's no tomorrow. But Spain is a nation of, of small shopkeepers, shall we say, small businesses. There's more small businesses in Spain. There used to be more small businesses in Spain than any other country in Europe. Uh, as a percentage, we we uh, we are a country of small business, and we we are castigated. We're 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 tortured. In reality, it it, it is not good, not good at all. What the what the uh, a company has to pay out to 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 in in, in social security. I mean, if you if you're paying six hundred euros a month for argument's sake for, for national insurance for an employee, that's a lot of money, isn't it? So wherever the wages are, and don't forget they get 14 months' wages in Spain, plus uh, all the holidays. There's plenty of uh, there's plenty of holiday time involved there, but they get 14 months' wages anyway. And then you've got you've got another say 600 euros a month going out per per employee in national insurance stamp. The cost of that employee has got to be clawed back, and there aren't many businesses can forward think to say, right, I'm going to take on another bloke for, for I'll give him a 12 months contract. So you must have a really good business to be able to do that. And it, it, there's no help. There never has been any help. Help has always been promised, invariably by the Conservative governments trying to get into power. And while they're in power to retain, him, to retain their power in the next general elections, it's never happened. It's never, ever happened. Um, and that's something that needs to be sorted out. And the other huge, massive debt that, that, that Spain has got is the, um, it's the civil service, the funcionarios, as they, they call them. Anybody from, from the town hall worker upwards to the prime minister is on the civil service books. And that bill is ridiculous. It, it's more than, more than some countries' complete economy. It is massive. And then the pensions they retire on is massive. It's a massive drain on society. And that's got to be paid for. How do they pay it? They castigate small companies by child making them pay a fortune to employ people. And then they say, we don't understand why the employment is, unemployment is so high. We all know why. <laughs> but it, it never changes. You know, we've got a general election coming up on Sunday. Be interested to see what lies they come out with then. Well, for me, I remember in 1990-ish, around about that sort of a year, um, I remember going down to, uh, well, I was living down in Cornwall and uh, I was teaching in the college and I was looking after the youth employment scheme for the leisure industry. Uh, but the youth employment scheme had replaced the youth opportunities programmes and there was a structure to try and get kids. I mean, I think they were only getting paid something like £25 from the scheme, but if they really did a good job, then there was always a few bob likely to come from the employer as well. And it was a tripartite scheme in between the college, the employer, and obviously um, the Manpower Services Commission who gave the money. But um, it was always the way that I used to always look at it 
was the most employee, the most important part of that tripartite, if you if you like, was the employer because the college can never give you a job, um, and then uh, manpower services, of course, come and go with the politics. So you've really got to start looking at how can young people become part of an industry that, that maybe they want to be part of. Um, Okay, the leisure industry maybe isn't quite as technical, but there are many places where they can go and learn good skills. You know, I'm thinking of uh, the leisure centres where they have to mm-hmm. obviously be quite good, but but even more so, more technical in the golf shops where, you know, they had to repair clubs and um, obviously had to build the different holes that maybe needed to be in, introduced to a, a golf course, something like that, you know. But, I mean... What do young people tend to do here in Spain? How do what, what do they leave sort of school Around with? here, you're either going to pull pints or flip hamburgers. What other industries are around here? So the the, 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 the youth of, of, of the area where I live on the coast near Benidorm have no alternative but, but either to work in the tourist industry, which is invariably pulling pints or flipping hamburgers, or leave uh, my family left <laughs> everyone went they, 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 they left there's nothing here for them there's, there isn't anything for them there's no there's no way you can earn a decent living uh put it that way um so they go so and that, and that is that is the sad part about it when you see villages basically literally die off because the people get older in the village and die and the youngsters don't stay in the village they've all they've fled the nest and gone I'm sitting in a big house here with, when I used to have kids running around. I'm going. <laughs> it's just actually I forgot my son just come back from the states for a little while. Yeah. But it, it's they've all they all fled the nest, uh, and I can't blame them. I really can't because if you want to earn money, you don't stay in Spain. Okay, and of course that's fairly obvious that if you don't get the uh, the people from the northern northern countries in Europe to come down and live here. Uh, then obviously even the pension money that would be uh, obviously a big part of the uh, the economy here in the Valencian community, mm. that would go as well. And uh, sometimes you do wonder whether the people who are making the rules up in Madrid uh, really understand what lives, uh, what really does exist down here for these young people who are yet to show the country how well they can work. That's what I can never understand. If you've got, I mean... Benidorm, there's half a million people there at any, any given day, basically. Yeah. Uh, how many actual residents are there at Benidorm? I don't know. About 80,000, 80, I think. I, I saw that 80, once. Yeah. Okay. But what industry is there around here for them? Nothing. Why doesn't somebody create something so that the youth of this area who don't want to flip hamburgers and pull pints want to learn another industry? There isn't anything. Nothing. They never even they never crosses anybody's mind. As long as that money is coming through the door in taxes and and uh, other sorts of uh, money raising ventures that town halls invent, as long as that money keeps coming in, especially in my game, the building industry, that made fortunes out of us over the years. And now, when there was a collapse in the building, uh, and after the crash of 2007, the town halls are pulling their hair out. God, we got no money coming in from the building, um, but no one's invested. No one is investing in the youth of, of, well, of Spain, as far as I'm concerned, certainly in this area. No one. And why? Why don't they? Well, because the word investment means money. It means you might have to go and spend something. Well, do it. And that way you can keep the communities together, because at the minute, they just go. They'll just go to the, the local kids here will migrate up to Valencia or into Madrid or up to the Basque Country or Barcelona. They'll go to the major cities where there's money to be earned. They're not going to hang around here. I can't blame them. Okay, there might be another couple of things just before we finish. Um, Let's have a look at this. Okay, so they're talking about, uh, in the article I'm looking at, the rapidly advancing digital landscape. Fast and reliable internet cannot 
connectivity becoming an essential part of our lives. While many countries in Europe are known for their technological advancements, one nation has taken the lead in a surprising fashion. And talking about Spain, often overshadowed by other European powerhouses, has emerged as a surprising force in the realm of internet infrastructure. Recent research by VPS Server has unveiled Spain's remarkable progress, positioning it as a frontrunner in Europe's internet rankings. So, uh, traditionally, when it comes to technology and innovation, countries like Iceland and the Netherlands tend to hog the limelight. However, the VPS Server study reveals a different narrative showcasing Spain's robust internet infrastructure and its rapid advancement, with an impressive internet penetration rate of 96%. Spain stands tall as a nation that's successfully connected uh, a vast majority of its population. Uh, Does that that bring us any uh, solace? It does for me. I've known this for for a long time. I I spend a lot of my time driving around. So I'm in the car and obviously I'm talking to people. Uh, And on numerous occasions, I'm actually, I've been talking on, on on, radio, on the radio in the UK, and, and invariably the, the 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 guy in the back room before we let you on to talk live will say, "When when you can you pull over? When you pull over, tell me, and we'll we'll, we'll start. We'll, we'll bring you in." I said, well, "I don't need. To. Yeah, we need to pull over because we can guarantee the signal." Then I said, "Listen, I'm in Spain, pal. There is signal everywhere. I don't need to pull over. This the signal's not going to drop. It won't, and it doesn't. <laughs> and yet, you when I, I'm listening to radio shows in the UK." invariably it gets cut off because somebody's phoning in and the signal goes, or it's a bad thing, even on the telly. But people, you know, it gets cut off because the signal's gone. I can't believe how in the UK that they haven't got anything like the, 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 the infrastructure that we have here but for broadband uh, 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 that, that Spain has. It's, it's incredible. Why, yeah. hasn't, why hasn't Britain invested in it? I do remember, <laughs> I do remember the last elections or the, the ones before that, Somebody, somebody declaring that every house will have, 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 have you know, like thousand megabyte uh, broadband. Everyone will have this. Everyone will have, have uh, oh, was it Labour was saying everyone will have free, free internet for everybody, mm. accessible everywhere. But don't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Well, I ask the question, find or find out why doesn't it happen in the UK? Why is it so bad in the UK? Mm, good Maybe question. You invest. Uh, just in our last couple of minutes, beyond the internet infrastructure, Spain's vibrant online community and thriving e-commerce sector have contributed to its rise. The nation's digital landscape has witnessed a remarkable surge in digital entrepreneurship, attracting both domestic and international businesses. Spanish consumers are increasingly turning to online platforms for their shopping needs, leading to a thriving e-commerce ecosystem. Can that help the youth unemployment in any shape or form, do you think? I doubt it. So unless you're buying products that are made in Spain, you're not going to be helping Spain at all, are you? It's the opposite, isn't it? Because sadly, everyone's buying online. The first, you want something, the first thing you do now is you go onto Amazon or whatever. Yeah, you're poison of choice and, and, and look for it and buy it and get it brought to your door. You haven't even got to get out in the car and go and look for it. So what happens now? High streets disappear. They certainly have in Alicante. Alicante is like a desert for, for, for shopping. It's 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 uh, it and, and the UK, it's the shopping malls have taken over everything. But even even in our local shopping mall, basically, I'm walking around to the sound of my own footsteps. I'm not I'm not being jostled and bustled because it's full. And yet, the the, the these areas of these shopping malls have killed off the the high streets, and now the internet shopping is killing off the shopping malls. So, in the end, Mr. Amazon is going to is going to rule in the world. Bless him. We get back to our artificial intelligence. Um, may, <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's an answer that we haven't thought of yet, but um, sadly, I don't think there's an answer that looms on the horizon. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, the youngsters leaving this part of the world, and unfortunately, um, I think that would appear to be the only solution. Go away, make your money, and then come back and enjoy your country again. Well, do you know, my youngest daughter, that's exactly what they've done. They've, they've been all over the world. I spent a couple of years in the Caribbean. They've been, um, she's been literally, but working all everywhere. She's been Hong Kong, she's been New York, and New Mexico. She's uh, been in the UK. She works in the city at the moment, 
and she's working hard now to finally get back here. They've earned the money over there. She, they, they, they own a few houses um, and they've managed to buy because they're earning good wages. And they're now in the process of uh, trying to get back here to bring up the family. They're, they're, they're a nice young family back in, in Spain in, 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 a, in, a nice, in a nice area because it is nice where we live. It's, it's certainly centre of London isn't the best place to bring a child up. Um, and, and that's their plan for the, the immediate future. It's the child to be brought up and educated in Spain. But what happens when the child is old enough to, to earn a living? Don't know. The minute oh, they go. the next lot like my kids did. Yeah. Okay. Um, predicted result for the general election. Oh, Partido de Popular. And they might even well get a majority. Do you know what? I have to say I wouldn't be against that at the moment. Not that it matters any odds because we are not allowed to vote. But nevertheless, no. I think it is time for a change, isn't it? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. He's increased the debt by 47%, the, 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 the current uh, political party, the PSOE. <laughs> are we They've surprised? They've increased the national debt by 47% in their, in their time in power. Yeah. That's not a good uh, advert, is it? OK, Terry, thank you very much indeed. And we look forward to next week. Speak next week, Vince. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Terry. Bye-bye.